Hello and welcome to episode 4 of CabotCast with me, Alan Kennedy. And today we have got a very special episode on embattled drylands. I'm here today with Dr. Katerina Michalidis from the uh, School of Geographical Sciences and Mariana Dudley, who is a lecturer in environmental humanities in the Department of Historical Studies. We're going to be talking today about a multimedia exhibition that they put on at Coexist Gallery in Bristol, down uh, beside the canteen in Stokes Croft, uh, which is based upon the work of the wider SOMA project, which we're going to be hearing a little bit more about. So Katarina is the is the project lead, and Mariana Dudley was the exhibition curator. If you could, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about the about the wider SOMA project that this this exhibition came out of, and about the the sort of physical and social and humanitarian sides of that? So wider SOMA stands for War Impact on Dryland Environments, uh, Socioecological Resilience in Somalia. Um, it's a global challenges uh, research funded project um, which incorporates um, physical science, social science, art and humanities perspectives to gain a more complete understanding of basically um, what do wars and conflicts do to dryland regions. The reason this is actually an important problem is that... Um, most contemporary wars that we can think of um, are taking place disproportionately in dryland regions across the world. And we can think of many such uh, recent examples, including Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Egypt, Somalia, Sudan, Niger, and many, many others across um, Africa, Middle East, and so on. Um, And so the question is, in these already... um, relatively fragile environments because they're battling climate change and desertification and all kinds of other impacts, what are wars doing to the environment, to people's ability to live in them, to their livelihoods, to political institutions, and to the way that the country can rebound following conflict. So the aim of this project, which is actually a pilot project, is to begin to understand how these interactions manifest um, within Somalia, a place that has a long history of of conflict, and, and land degradation as well. Is this a project that you've, has been in the pipeline for a long time or did it come together quite quickly? I, I know there's a lot of people within the university and, and from other universities, as, as you say, from the physical sciences side and the humanities side. And how did, you, how did you bring all these people together and how did the project form in that sense? So I'm a physical scientist. Um, my expertise is on dryland environmental processes, particularly um, on the expression of climate, on hydrology, um, on sediment transport, um, ecological processes, land degradation, and so on. So my interest and my, my research focus has um, always been on dryland environments. So it, it's quite funny, actually, how I came up with the idea, which wasn't very grandiose, but it's basically me sitting on a sofa watching BBC News night after night and seeing, you know, images of Syria, images of wars in Somalia, images of Sudan, images of Egypt and Arab Spring and Libya and places like that. And, and night after night, and over time, sort of expressing the question, what are these wars doing to these dry lands? So as an environmental scientist, my thought was, what is the impact of these conflicts? on the land and on the productivity of the land, of, on the vegetation, on, on livelihoods, pastoral land and, and uh, water resources. And that was it. 
And it was in that moment that I decided to write uh, an outline proposal. I wasn't quite sure what the funding opportunity would be, but lucky for me, it's about the right time and the right place. Within a, f- a few months, um, the Global Challenges Programme on Building Resilience was announced, and I looked for the right people to join my team. So the team includes social scientists um, from geography and space in Bristol. It includes war studies scholars from King's College London. It includes um, remote sensing experts from King's College. It includes resilience and security experts from RUSI, the Royal United uh, Services Institute. And of course, um, uh, scholars from the arts and humanities and history. So we have a very wide ranging academic team that everyone brings something different to the table, lots of different perspectives. And this is, as I said, a pilot project. So we're hoping that this gives us enough insight and preliminary uh, results to to take forward into the future to a bigger project on this topic. Okay, so uh, thinking about about these impacts of war that you're interested in in, in dry land environments, I'm just wondering how this this project in general um, deals with the legacy of war. So presumably that's going to be quite a long-lasting thing and uh, you know, a, a desert environment would have very fragile soils and I guess even in terms of redeveloping after a war the priority with local people is probably to rebuild their house before they start you know nurturing the environment back to the state it was in so um is do you hope this will be part of a longer term project or you know have you got case studies of further post-war environments as such yeah that's a really interesting question and actually you're absolutely right and the the thing about drylands is there are places of contradiction in many ways they're incredibly resilient tough places okay and you can see from the vegetation that lives there, from the, the, the cultures, the people, their resilience over thousands of years and the, the uh, civilizations that have built there and everything. So these are not as delicate as we, we would like to think or as we make them sound to be. Um, they're, they're tough. They can withstand periods of drought. They can withstand a lot of uh, impact and anthropogenic impacts and climatic impacts and so on. At the same time, they can shift into a state where they become semi-permanently or permanently damaged. And so this is the thing about them. They're tough until you perturb them to a particular point and then they become degraded to a point where it's very hard to, to bring them back to their previous state. And this is what we call land degradation or desertification as it's commonly known. And this can include simple things like pastoralists overgrazing the land. Overgrazing is a very common cause of land degradation. Similarly, a conflict can come along and have the same impact as overgrazing. It can destroy vegetation on the ground, remove vegetation, break up delicate soil crusts which contain valuable microbes, damage and compact soil and and therefore impact the water supply. So conflict can have this very immediate impact. But as you say, this impact can then be felt a very, very long time after the war ceases. So our case study in Somalia picks up all these time variants of war. Um, We have areas which have never seen conflict at all. We have areas that have had very recent conflict and areas that have experienced conflict about 50 years ago. And in looking at how the land has changed over these 50 years in all of these areas that have either had or haven't had conflict, we can decipher to what extent conflict accelerates land degradation that may be due to climate or overgrazing or other factors, or whether it has no impact at all. It is complex in the sense that the impacts on the land can, may not be due to direct 
conflict impacts like people removing vegetation or tanks trampling or bombs exploding. It can be due to subtle differences in the way governance leads to people using the land. For example, changing communal grazing lands or restricting where cattle can go and graze, thereby putting pressure on certain parts of the land, um, you know, because others are unavailable to them. So conflict can result in social political shifts and in direct environmental shifts. And by having an interdisciplinary team, we're hoping to decipher um, all those angles. A big part of this project was working with, uh, well, a big part, as as far as I can tell from seeing the exhibition, was working with these non-university partners and particularly working with the Bristol Somali community. Um, I just wondered, you know, I'd say that's probably quite an interesting and quite a unique side that this project's got over some other physical science uh, projects that might be going on at the university. I just wanted to know what, what you thought maybe that brought to the work. Do you think it makes it more impactful and did they have any sort of influence on, on the research aims of the project? So Mariana, would you like to say something about that? Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm an environmental historian first and foremost and when Katrina approached me about being involved in the project I was really interested because um, I work on histories of military military landscapes and um, the ways in which kind of environmental narratives are picked up by militaries. But I also knew that I wasn't really going to be able to do that in Somalia or kind of using Somali case studies, the kind of um, history that you can do with archives and with site visits wasn't really going to be an option for this project where um, we were able to kind of um, find source, uh, find soil samples and so on in Somalia, but there wasn't the budget or the time to send a group of people out to Somalia itself. So I approached the project trying to think of other ways in which a humanities perspective could contribute to the kind of work we were doing. Um, something that I've um, done more and more of in my recent work is um, around the ways in which publics engage with environmental narratives and um, particularly using um, kind of art and events to engage with communities around environmental issues. And so that was something I was keen to explore in relation to uh, the wider SOMA project. And one thing that... um, one resource, if you like, that we're really lucky to have in Bristol is a very vibrant and close-knit Somali community. And I knew about that going into the project. And so I think from the very start, I was quite eager to explore ways in which we could connect some of the um, quite precise and scientific work we were doing at the university with community understandings of what was happening in Somalia and kind of the environmental impacts of conflict and so on. So through kind of lots of emails and phone calls and a few visits and meetings with people, we established that the Bristol Somali Resource Centre would be a really good partner for the project. They're a community project that um, has been set up specifically to support the Somali community in Bristol um, and they do a lot of just really important um, kind of groundwork in terms of making sure people have access to the kind of support that they need for day-to-day life um, and they're really engaged also with the kind of bigger political issues that are affecting Somalia at the moment and I think one thing that became immediately clear was that actually they had a huge wealth of knowledge that we could tap into um, if we worked with them in a productive way and so we started to talk about ways in which they could kind of contribute to to the project and um, kind of working with them established that 
doing community workshops where we we shared information about the project work and then they contributed their memories of living in Somalia, their memories of leaving Somalia as well. Um, that would be a really good way to kind of co-produce some knowledge around um, some of the themes that the project's looking at. So we set up community workshops. What I was really um, impressed by from the very start was how how generous they were with their time and their knowledge and it seemed that it was a shame to just keep that knowledge to the project actually that there's a lot here that kind of the wider Bristol community could learn from as well but then kind of also bubbling under the surface with a lot of um, this work going on was finding out from our partners at the Royal United Services Institute that they'd also had a kind of um, history of sending photographers out to the region and um, documenting events going on and then reporting back to it to um, to their members through their their magazine and they'd um, they put us in touch with a photographer called Susan Shulman who'd been sent by Rusi on a photographic mission in Somalia and she was really generous to share her photos with the project so we had this incredible visual resource that Susan had taken these photos kind of in the field in Somalia and we also had this very rich human perspective that was provided by people in the communities. So by combining those two with the scientific research that was happening it seemed like a really interesting way not only to um, present some of the work that the project was doing but to actually try and have a conversation with people beyond the project about some of the issues that we're covering. So the idea is that it's not a one-way kind of not a one-way thing that we wanted to inform people sure about the issues but also learn from them also just start conversations and to kind of raise awareness of some of these issues raise awareness that actually it's very complicated and there's lots of different factors it's not a clear-cut story of um you know just the impacts of war that things like climate change do come into it too and that absolutely the human angle can't be forgotten kind of in any study um, of the impacts of war so that's why we decided to go down the public exhibition route and Bristol was the perfect place to do that. So the exhibition itself was called Embattled Drylands um, so I went down just before it finished down to coexist and it my perspective was it was quite a nice mixture of these striking images um, the stories really to, to add that totally different perspective from what you would have expected a, a bit of science but not like a heavy going amount of science that was sort of easy enough to, to sort of take in as well as some physical samples of soil and things that were there so you kind of had a little bit that you could dip into from lots of different perspectives depending on your interests and I uh, just wondered if you've got any like particularly interesting insights from the public or comments that you know that you, you gained from doing that I can read you some of the comments in our visitor book if that's a simple way of as, lo- as long as they're as they're PG you know there's no <laughs> yeah. no swearing or anything in there yeah they're all very positive yeah. <laughs> um yeah so actually I mean just in terms of kind of useful tips if you're doing a public exhibition like this um one kind of vital way of measuring whether or not people engage with it is by just having a visitor book there or at least some way of them kind of feeding back their thoughts on the exhibition you could do it with post-it notes on a wall or whatever but we, d- we had a visitor book. So let's see. Okay, here we have someone called June who wrote that the mixture of drought facts mixed with individual accounts of people's lives brings the issues really alive. I learned a lot. Thank you. I've got a um, comment from 
one of the members of the Somali, Somali community that we worked with and who came to the exhibition. Um, and actually she's a student at the university too, so she kind of um, is involved in <laughs> you know, more than one aspect of this, if you like. So this was a young woman called Sarah and she said, this is a very much needed project. Thank you for your effort and time to explore and to try to understand what is causing the drylands in Somalia and Somaliland. I hope your findings will elicit possible solutions to tackle the problem, which has costed many lives, both human and animal, as well as the natural resources. Thank you and keep up the good work. So it was really nice actually for us to be able to directly get a perspective on what the Somali community themselves kind of, you know, thought we needed to be doing, what topics they really wanted us to address. Okay, so I'm just just to wrap up, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit what are your, your projected aims now going forward and, and the sort of time scale, how long is the project going to run for? Um, if you get any more information or if people could find out more about the, the exhibit and about the project more generally, like how you'll be dissemi- <coughs> disseminating that, the findings from that in the end. Yeah, so the project's actually coming to an end. End of March it finishes. It was really just a year long and it, we've actually managed to do a huge amount in, in that one year. We are now basically in the process of uh, compiling all our results, which are showing all these trends in, in land degradation relative to conflict and the nuanced aspects of that in different parts of Somalia, Somaliland. Um, we're, we're writing these up for publication. Uh, more importantly, the way the project is ending is with an uh, international workshop that's happening on the 12th of February at Rusi in London. We're holding it in London to enable more people to attend. And this is a, um, a workshop called Conflict Environment Links in Dryland Regions. We have internationally invited speakers that uh, have a huge amount of experience on the topic from working in Syria, South Sudan, um, Somalia and many other places. And this promises to be a very exciting interaction where people are going to share experiences of not only the academic and the, the research aspect of this problem, but being on the ground what does it look like to try and rebuild a country and a region uh, following conflict? What does it look like to rehabilitate a dry land landscape? Um, what does it mean to build resilience socially and ecologically following conflict or even during conflict? So th- these are all the perspectives that we're going to share during this workshop. Uh, we will record the workshop and we will put these talks and discussions online available um, on a website after the workshop ends. Um, and we're really hoping, moving forward, um, investigate the broader dryland regions of the world um, and compare different conflict um, settings to understand how they impact drylands and, and to really understand the livelihoods context. How do we um, uh, build strength in communities um, experiencing conflict and degradation and drought and everything else? I think it's worth just saying something about, for me as a humanities researcher on what has been a predominantly science-based project, it's been a really great opportunity to kind of demonstrate the added value that the humanities bring to interdisciplinary projects like this you know kind of demonstrating that they're not just there to kind of tick an impact box or to fulfill a a funding obligation but they're actually through engaging with the kind of the human angles of a lot of these environmental issues is a really a way to enhance the science that's already being done as well so it's been a really rewarding thing for me also you know where possible definitely 
look for opportunities to work with local communities, particularly ones like the Somali community that are often marginalised by other groups in Bristol. I think it's a really important thing for us in the university to be able to connect with groups beyond and to actually do something constructive in terms of our research and building links with them. So if nothing else, I leave now with a much better sense of how delicious Somali food is and how (laughs) warm and welcoming the community are as well. Okay, well, thank you very much, Kat, Mariana, both. That was really, really interesting. I hope you've enjoyed listening and stay tuned for more Cabot Institute podcasts with me, Alan Kennedy. Thanks. Bye.